And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Hump Day edition of The Real Investment Show. That means, of course, Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. We'll talk a little bit about retirement savings and uh, how to make sure we get you there on track in time to retire. I mean, that's one, kind of one of the things that we all want to do now that we're all getting older is retire. Just especially with the nonsense around, around the economy today. Just I'm, I'm ready to get out of the rat race. Um, nothing really happened yesterday of consequence. Brent, anything happened yesterday important? I can't remember. I mean, it was it was a pretty quiet day yesterday. Was there some kind of a Fed presentation yeah, yeah, by yeah. somebody to yeah. somebody? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jerome Powell yesterday, well, guy, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yesterday Jerome Powell, of course, uh, you know, being exactly what we thought he would be. Uh, of course, Jerome Powell is one of the more hawkish members on the FOMC, of course, he was testifying in front of the Senate Banking Committee yesterday. Today, he testifies. This is this is annual testimony, right? So when you say testifies, it sounds like, oh my gosh, what did he do wrong? He didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> it's just well, this actually, is, yeah, well, actually, uh, but this is the annual kind of grilling that he gets. That's part of his job that he gets from the Senate Finance Committee and from the House Financial Services Committee. So. You know, today is part two, and he'll be testifying in front of the House Financial Services Committee today saying pretty much they're going to ask him all the same things, right? I mean, it's just, uh, I'm sure, you know, Cortez, AOC, will be saying stupid stuff to him, but about inflation and those type of things. So that should be entertaining. Lots of memes probably coming out of today's testimony, but we'll see what happens. Don't forget Pocahontas. Yeah. Well, no, that was yesterday. She oh, sent it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, and, and she didn't say anything. We got no good memes from Pocahontas yesterday. <laughs> I was sure we would have something good, but really nothing, nothing came out of it. Uh, but here's, here's the bottom line of all this. First of all, uh, Jerome Powell did exactly what we thought he would do. He said, look, inflation is not cooling on the core fast enough. Home prices are remaining high. Food prices are remaining high. You know, all these type of things. So the core inflation not falling fast enough for the Fed. Of course, what they're really concerned about here is really two things. One is a wage price spiral. Wages continue to be remain very strong right now as employers have been unable to cut wages yet for a slowing economic environment. So that concerns the Fed. That feeds through into inflation. Uh, the second thing, of course, is just inflation itself. What they're really concerned about is a, a resurgence of inflation. In other words, inflation comes down a little bit then takes off again. And that would be kind of that repeat of the 1970s. That's the one thing they're really trying to avoid. And so the Jerome Powell yesterday effectively saying, look, we're going to hike rates until we break something. That's really kind of the, the bottom line of his, his statements yesterday. Of course, that, sent, that kind of destroyed the whole, you know, pause equals pivot bullish theme that the markets have been trying to build on for the last couple of months now is the hope that we were closer to the end. The odds of a 50 basis point rate hike uh, in the March meeting, so that's coming up on the 22nd, has now almost 70% odds of a 50 basis point rate hike. Now, interestingly enough, this is the market saying, okay, the Fed's gonna, there's a 70% chance the Fed will hike by 50 basis points on the 22nd. So now the market started to price that more aggressive rate hike in. Yesterday we came down set right on the 50-day moving average. So we've got to hold we need to hold that support today 
If we don't, we're going to test the 200-day moving average right below it. Again, that's all fine. Uh, a retest of the two. We've only tested the 200-day moving average once here. We had a successful test of that last week. So again, a pullback here would not be surprising. And another retest of the 200-day moving average wouldn't be surprising. That wouldn't change the bullish tenor of the market at all. And the 100-day moving average is sitting right on top of the 200-day moving average. So that's about to cross. And the MACD uh, uh, buy signal is also very close to crossing as well. So pull back a little bit yesterday because the sell-off, not surprising. Um, so, but again, it's, it is narrowing. So that potential cross is, is still there. But again, a lot of this is going to depend on what the Fed says today. Of course, we're going to try to open up a little bit this morning. Dow's up about 26 points right now ahead of testimony. But again, that could change very quickly once um, he begins to testify and basically restate what he said yesterday. And hopefully he doesn't say anything worse <laughs> than he said yesterday. That, that would be really bad. Um, but the, the point here is, is that with a 70 basis point rate hike, uh, sorry, with a 70 base, uh, 70% chance of a 50 basis point rate hike in March, the market is giving the Fed authorization to hike by 50 basis points. It's, it's kind of this interesting conundrum that exists. The Fed says, I'm going to do this. The market then adjusts for it, which gives the, the Fed the ability to make that adjustment. So the market is already giving them approval saying, okay, all right, we've corrected here a little bit. We're giving you, a, we're saying 70% chance you're going to hike by, you know, 50 basis points in March. That's kind of giving authorization to the Fed to do that. So the, the risk of a 50 basis point hike is certainly much more possible now than it was on Monday uh, because of that testimony yesterday. Now, uh, again, this is the, the interesting point about all this is, is now the terminal rate for Fed funds is now 5.6% from just Monday. So we've gone up from five and a half to 5.6. That's where the Fed is supposed to stop hiking rates is somewhere around that five and a half, 5.6% rate. But again, that terminal rate keeps kind of moving up as the Fed keeps saying, we're going to keep hiking rates to combat inflation. And we're going to do this. And this is really what Jerome Powell said in a nutshell yesterday. We're going to hike rates until we are sure inflation is coming down. And again, the only way that you bring down inflation is to cause a recession. Because those two are tied at the hip. And so this idea of a no recession, soft landing scenario is certainly becoming much less probable now because of what the Fed said. And so we'll have to watch this over the next couple of days to see where we are. Um, yesterday, of course, we started adding back to our bonds in our portfolio because, again, if, you, if the Fed is intent on causing a recession, that is basically the, what you need for lower yields, of course, higher bond prices. And in fact, bond prices rose yesterday. Yields came down a bit on the, on the back of this uh, notion that the Fed will continue to hike rates until they get inflation under control. Um, we're also very close to a MACD buy signal on bonds as well as we got a money flow buy signal. Now, uh, we've put our analysis of our trade. We do a trade update that we post on Simplevisor every time we make a trade. Um, that went out yesterday to all our subscribers for simplevisor.com, but I've also posted that piece of commentary in today's daily market commentary, which is free. It's on our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. If you subscribe to that, we'll get you the daily market commentary 
every single morning at 7.30. So we'll keep you up to date, give you a little market overview, kind of some important data points, economics, et cetera. It's all there for you every morning. Get you prepped for the trading day. That's our daily market commentary on the website. While you're there, of course, also subscribe to not only this YouTube channel, but also our weekly newsletter. And don't forget our Before the Bell. We've now separated out our three minutes on markets and money that comes out every morning but it has its own channel. So subscribe, it's all the subscriptions. So it's all free, it's all there at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. So, you know, that's the thing that, that we'll be looking for here though, is paying attention because if the Fed is going to create a recession, yields will go lower. And they will go lower, particularly when the Fed begins cutting rates aggressively then to offset the recession that they've now caused to bring down inflation. It's a mess is all this is. <laughs> so, but this is what you get when you do stupid stuff like send checks to households. That, so, you know, you get what you, you, and shut down the economy. So, you know, we're just gonna have to deal with it till we get through this, because that pig in the python is still working its way through the system. Okay, quick break, come back. Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. Uh, we'll talk more about uh, saving for retirement, how to get you there, uh, particularly in this environment and uh, also several other things we've got coming up as well. Uh, budget, uh, Biden is, uh, President Biden is about to issue out his new budget proposal. Doesn't mean anything, it'll never go anywhere. But again, more spending, more debt, less economic growth. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show YouTube channel has all our videos ready for your easy access. Now with the new and improved Before the Bell reports, Candid Coffee, and Lunch and Learn replays, plus each day's radio shows like Technically Speaking Tuesday, Financial Fitness Friday, and the latest analysis from Lance Roberts and Michael Leibowitz. Subscribe and bookmark our YouTube channel for The Real Investment Show, or just click on the show links at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show and welcome back to the show this morning at 6:17 on this uh, Wednesday You know, it's just interesting. I'm watching headlines this morning. CNN, uh, Fox Business. It's it's interesting. Um, fentanyl deaths are now doubling in states that are trying to decriminalize drugs, which is interesting. Uh, you know, fentanyl is a huge problem in the country. But Seattle, the number of deaths in Seattle have doubled uh, just in the last year. But this is also one of the states where they are trying to decriminalize the penalties for drug use, et cetera. So it's just kind of an interesting correlation that, that's going on. It just seems like people would figure this out. Um, but anyway, just interesting headlines this morning. Morning, Danny. How are you? Hey, good morning. Great. How about you? Good, good. So, you know, there's a couple of things, uh, you know, we talked about here recently. Uh, you know, we just did the uh, Lunch and Learn for Raising Money Smart Kids. Um, by the way, Brent, is that uh, is that link on the YouTube uh, channel as well? So if you go to our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, you can see the link for our uh, Raising Money Smart Kids. Uh, Danny and Richard did a really good job about how to teach your children better money. I tell you, and it's a challenge, right? Because I've I've got kids, you know, kids in college. I've got kids in high school, and you know, trying to get them into that mentality of saving and investing, it's you know, it's challenging because. 
you know, they're just inundated with social media and everything that goes on on social media, you know, you know, fancy cars and, you know, new clothes and new makeup and, you know, whatever. Yeah, I've got girls and boys, but my boys don't wear makeup, but he's he's obsessed with the cars and the girls are, you know, makeup, clothes, etc. So they're all doing the right thing. OK, they're just <laughs> but it's very tough. We, we, we don't do that woke thing in our house, um, but, but you know, it's very tough uh, to try to teach them financial, good financial habits. Right. And, but it's good, and and this is why we make them work. We make them get jobs when they're 16, try to teach them, you know, the, and of course, you know, their, their first big shock is when they get their, you know, they get their paycheck and there's taxes taken out of it. You know, like what, how much do I get paid now? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, not, not a lot left over. But it, but it's it's a challenge. So anyway, uh, Danny Rich did a really good job with this idea of kind of teaching money smart habits to kids. And there's also uh, we are converting that into an actual article. Uh, the first leg of that will be on the website tomorrow. Um, we've got a blog post coming out on basically encapsulating the the video into a step by step guide, so to speak of raising money smart kids. But you know this also applies to retirement savings as well, trying to get people ready for retirement. Uh, trying to get people to save enough to get to retirement. And we talked about the statistics um, last year. You know, every year, Fidelity and Vanguard and others, they come out with their statistics of 401k plans, right? And they normally say, we have, we've got, you know, 77,000 401k millionaires, whatever it was. Um, it was interesting. Last year, the average retirement plan was down about 23%, and there was a massive drop a very sharp drop in the number of 401k millionaires. So there was a lot of people in that list that were just cusping the million dollar mark and then lost 23% of their portfolio. So they quickly fell out of that rank. But again, the, the number of 401k millionaires, if you do a uh, mathematical calculation, it's 1% of all the 401k plans. So, you know, we talk about the rich 1%. Those are your 401k millionaires. Um, the other 80, 90, 95, 98% of 401k plans, unfortunately, about 80% of them have less than one year's worth of salary saved up. The the median balances are very, are very sad. And again, this is where, you know, people are having to save for their retirement. And, you know, we have these conversations. I was just talking the other day about, you know, buying homes and you should have a 20% down payment for a house, not because the bank requires you to have it. The bank doesn't. You can get a loan for 3% down through Fannie Mae. You should as a function of being financially smart, save a 20% down payment for a house. Now, I said that, and I got a rash load of angry comments from young people going, it is ridiculous to save 20%. There's no way I can save 20% for down payment for a house. That is ridiculous. Well, is it? You I mean, can. You don't want to. Right. That's the point. You know, is it really ridiculous? And if you can't save the 20%, maybe you shouldn't buy a house, which comes with a whole bunch of other stuff. This is what we're talking about the other day. You know, buying a house is not just buying a house. It's buying the HOA dues, the property taxes, the school taxes, you know, the maintenance, the upkeep, you know, all that stuff that goes on <laughs> with owning a house. And, you know, and this is the thing that always gets me about people that own houses is they say, well, I bought it for this. I sold it for this. I made a ton of money in my house. No, you didn't. Go back and add up all the money you paid while you were in that house. Pretty much a house is an expense more often than not. But, you know, but if you can't save up that money, that means you have a cash flow problem in the house. And this goes back to the retirement savings. Why do we have only, you know, the, the vast majority of Americans who actually contribute to a 401k plan, which, by the way, is only about 25% of all working Americans, those that do contribute have less than one year salary saved up. Um, you know, and that tells us a lot about 
you know, financial stability. So, Danny, what are some things that we can start doing? And I know this, uh, you know, with the Secure Act 2.0, that's going to give people some other advantages to start saving for retirement. Yeah, but let's take a step back even further. You mentioned the Money Smart Kids, and I think this yeah. is a really important aspect because as a whole, we fail to educate our children on smart money moves. We don't talk about it. It's kind of one of those deals that's swept under the rug. We we don't have these open across the table conversations anymore. And that's really what that webinar was intended to do. Is kind of bring that to light. You know, there's so much information out there, and you talk about um, you know raising children. You talk about love languages, what works well. But when you start thinking about how they spend money, there's also money scripts. And this is really important to start to get a very good understanding of what your own are. You go to realinvestmentadvice.com. We actually have a survey there that you can take. You can take the quiz and get the information. But really important to understand, how do your kids operate with money? Because this is going to lead later in life to help them to understand as far as, you know, how these things work. How do they work together? We have a significant problem. And, you know, I think that we fail even at the high school level, Lance, of just the personal finance 101. You know, we see many people that get out of college or get out of high school and, or even college and don't know how to write a check. Now, granted, most people or a lot of people are not writing checks at all, have no checkbooks, right? You can do everything online. I was going to say, I, mean, I haven't seen a check. <laughs> but I think the art of balancing yeah. a checkbook or a budget has been lost no, because it it's so easy to go pay with the card. And, you know, the, the financial media is not designed necessarily to help you, the mainstream media. They're out there to sell you a product, right? Just like you just mentioned, your yeah. kids, they get online, they Google something. I guarantee you every time they get on Facebook or whatever oh, yeah. social media site, it's that, going to... Old people use Facebook. Well, what they're is on, it now? They're, what? they're on Snapchat. And okay. TikTok, Instagram. Right, it's the gram, baby. The gram is where the young kids live. You yeah. get the point. Yeah. But it starts at a young age, and that's where I think we can do a much better job. And so, you know, right now, let's say that you didn't have that opportunity. Nobody talked to you about these... Um, these things that probably should have been discussed. And I think it's because as parents, I think we're hesitant to let them know about our own mistakes. And that's a, that is, I think, a huge mistake in and of itself. We need to let them know, hey, we've done this. We've been there, done that. And here's where we wish we'd have done things a little bit better. Here's why. And start to have these conversations. Um, you know, Rich, we, we deal with, with all different walks of life. But I think the most successful, or Lance, did I say Rich? Yeah, you did. So, if, you, if you do that again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start talking like <laughs> Janet Yellen. So, Rich, Rich. I just want to hear you do it. <laughs> Not that I enjoy that, Richard. Oh, man. You were, you were, you were saying is, something, is, and, and now... It is Wednesday. Now, uh, right, I'm like, waiting on Jan Janet now. I mean, <laughs> you finished your thought. Buying my time. You're riding out of time. You got about two minutes. Richard knocked you off course, and he's not even here. I know. <laughs> oh, man, right. this is terrible. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, 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 it's... Look, this is an important thing. And again, you know, when we come back from the break, we'll talk about Secure Act 2.0, because, you know, this is, you know, the change... It's interesting, you know, the changes that we've made to legislation... You know, trying to get people to save more money um, has not really worked. You, you remember back under the Obama administration, he was coming out with a special IRA for people, and it went nowhere because you could contribute money to the IRA, which was great, but people aren't saving any money. So just because you give people an option to save money doesn't mean they're going to do it because we don't really incentivize people to do it well enough. And, and to your point, you know, like, for instance, something I don't understand why do we only have 
you know, what what's the Roth IRA or IRA contribution this year? Seven seven thousand. Yeah, it's, it's it's so minimal that it doesn't. It's right. inconsequential that it takes you forever to go in and put the funds aside, right? right? And so that's where the problem is. And so what I think you were referring to is Kevin Brady, the House. He was at the time the head of the House Ways uh, and Means Committee, mm -hmm. and so he was trying to to form a unified savings account is what they were calling it. Right. And they were going to give the bandwidth is going to be like, you can put $10,000 tax free into it. It's going to grow tax free. And, and so kind of like a supercharged Roth or even an HSA, but, but why put, but here's my point. Why put nobody could do it. Anything? They couldn't get it done. Right. Well, they couldn't get it done, but here's my, here's my point though, is if you want people to save more money, great. Don't put a limit on the IRA contribution. Don't put a limit on the Roth. Let me save as much as I, I mean, if look, if I'm putting after tax dollars into a Roth, why do you care how much I put in there? You're getting your tax dollars today anyway. So if I want to put $20,000 into my Roth, why can't I? Or $50,000. If I want to save 100% of my paycheck into my Roth and I can figure out how to live outside of that. They need the money because it's pre-tax. and so No, no, Roth. Oh, Roth, yeah. Right, post-tax, yeah. right? So why have a limit? I don't understand why we have limits on these things, right? If we want people to save more money, and 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 this is also going to go to you know the problem with Social Security, you know, the 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 bankruptcy date for a lot of the different social securities are starting to move up more and more. And so we're concerned. And uh, right now in France, they're all rioting over raising the retirement age. But if we want to try to, you know, one of the ways to help solve the dependency on social security so we could reduce or rate, you know, reduce payouts or raise the retirement age is allow people to save more for retirement. Yeah. $6,500 a year is not going to cut it. Yeah. That, that's yeah. That you're just never going to get there. Anyway, all right, we'll come back. We'll talk about Secure Act 2.0, how to boost your retirement savings. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome back to the show this morning <laughs> my wife is five months pregnant and so moody that sometimes she's borderline irrational that's the question the answer is, so what's your question? <laughs> so, yeah, pregnancy Q&A. Our baby was born last week. When will my wife begin to feel and act normal again when the kids are in college? <laughs> I can attest to that, by the way. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, so Retirement Plan 2.0, Secure Act 2.0, of course, uh, this was a piece of legislation recently passed. And, uh, you know, it's changing a lot of things. Right? It's impacting a lot of different areas of, you know, retirement savings and RMDs and those type of things. Um, it, it can help a lot. Um, in terms of helping you boost your retirement savings, uh, there's more that can be done, of course. Uh, and again, as we were talking about just before the break, you know, I, you know, we need to rethink the whole 
retirement savings issue in the country. And again, you know, when you look at, you know, the, the financial breakdown of the economy, the top 10% of income earners, they own about 90% of the stock market. So when you're talking about their impact and, and what they have, you know, we, we look at this thing in totality, right? So we say, we'll look at the retirement savings of everyone as a whole and look at the average savings of everybody in a whole. And so you look at that and you go, wow, it's $165,000. The problem is, is once you strip out that top 10%, the vast majority of Americans don't have very much saved up at all. Why? Because they really can't afford to save. How, you know, we, we've talked, you know, it's just, it's not just the cost of living that keeps going up, but it's also the fact that we've we're take we've taken on a massive amount of debt to live way beyond our means. You know, we've all wanted bigger houses and nicer cars and all these type of things. And of course, thousand dollar iPhones and you know when a flip phone would work, right? We we've all upgraded our lifestyle to a level that really is very hard to justify income wise, and so we have no money left over for savings. So we need to do things to and this is what we're talking about before the break. If you want to incentivize people to save more, take the limits off a Roth IRA, right? Let them save as much as they want and, you know, or, you know, provide, you know, other tax benefits, et cetera, for saving more money. But again, you know, there's things that we can do, but the more money that we could get people to save, then the less burden we would have on the Social Security welfare retirement system later on in life. And then when you need to make adjustments for, funding issues like raising the minimum retirement age or decreasing payouts or whatever the the eventual solution is or raising the contribution limit for you know over the salaries of four hundred thousand dollars etc whatever the solution is to fix the social security problem is it won't be as painful if you've allowed people to save more money for retirement so anyway lots of stuff needs to be done but the the secure act 2.0 danny um it's giving people the ability to, to actually start saving more money um with some of the new features. Well, it's setting, it's setting up businesses to be able to do a little bit more and to automatically escalate savings along the way. And, and listen, last segment we talked about, you know, $6,500 was the, the maximum you could contribute to an IRA. Right. I don't want to discourage anybody from doing that. Rome was not built in a day. It's step <laughs> brick by brick, step by step. And so, you know, I know it can be discouraging when you hear these types of numbers, but it all adds up. And the younger you start, the better off you're going to be. And now we talk about the hierarchy of savings. Where do you go? How do you do it? And this bill actually has some of that associated with it. So now many of these won't go into effect until 2025. But one of the big ones is that they're going to do an automatic default savings rate of 3%. And so you step into a plan, they're going to require that you save 3% unless you opt out. And I think this will be good for participation rates. Uh, Dr. Bernatzi, he's the professor and head of investment or behavior decision-making at UCLA School of Management. And he did a lot of extensive studies on this. So the issue is, what could we do more? Mm. And what is the number where you don't impact participation rate? So going back to, you know, what you were saying, yes, you could do more. And and so they're saying that we should actually boost that up to like 7% mm -hmm. because you could do that without everybody falling off. And then you start creating those automatic behaviors. You know, one of the, the old school rules of investing or just building wealth is set it and forget it, create it, make it automatic. And meaning that each paycheck, you're setting these funds aside automatically. You pay yourself first. 
And I think we've gotten way away from that. At least yeah. that's what it appears to be. Well, no, I talk to people all the time, and 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 I get emails from people going, you know, I'm I'm trying to save for retirement, you know, you know, but I, I just you know I don't have any money to save. I, I'm like, look, if you can't fully fund your IRA, your 401k every year, there's your problem, right? Because again, that money comes right off the top of your income. So if you're making fifty thousand dollars a year, and you fully fund your 401k plan. That all comes out pre-tax. So when that money comes out of your paycheck, if you know you actually wind up, you, you'd be surprised. Once you start increasing your contribution to your 401k plan, the amount of bring home pay really doesn't change that much because that's coming out pre-tax versus getting taxed on those dollars that you're bringing home. And, and so you know the problem is is that we go. This goes back to saving the 20% down payment for a house. Yeah. Why can't I save? Well, because you're spending too much. Well, things are also very expensive. I mean, you know, we deal with, we help clients, children from time to time. And, um, you know, look, if you're making forty or $50,000, and you're, it's going to be very difficult to put $22,500 aside, no, no, right? It, it is. And, but and, and save money on top of that. Correct. And, you know, but what I'm saying is, is, and as your income increases over time, though, you should be functioning. Look, there's kind of a rule of thumb. You save 30% of your income, right? So if you, and just think about it this way, if... $22,000 is my max 401k contribution. I make $100,000 a year. That's If I save $22,000, that's 22% of my savings right there. So I only have to save another 8% of my bring home pay to hit my 30% savings mark, right? So it's not, once you get to the point you can fully fund that 401k plan, you're doing a good job of, of saving enough money for retirement, you know, provided you've got 20 or 30 years, you know, to, to retirement. If you're trying to do this at 55, may require more savings. Um, but again, this goes back to, but Danny's right about everything being expensive, but we also have to look at our choices, right? We were talking about this the other day with a lot of the, you know, I was telling the story, I'd gone into a coffee shop and there was a girl uh, wearing a sweatshirt there that says, you know, you know, save a cow, eat the rich. And she's complaining about, you know, the, you know, this whole, the top 1% and the system's unfair and the rich people have everything, but she's using a, an Apple computer. She has an Apple phone. She's got Bose headphones that she's using, you know, she, you know, she's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, complaining about this. And so she's funding all the capital. Oh, and she was driving a Tesla. Um, so you're funding, you know, being green is great. That's nothing wrong with that, but you're funding the rich people, right? And so you're complaining about the people you're funding, but this comes back to the choices. Do you really need a $1,000 or $1,500 iPhone, right, plus the phone bill every month? Would a, would a cheaper phone do the same thing for you in terms of whatever you need to do? Or do you just want to pay for the ha to, to, for the, the cachet of saying you've got an Apple phone, right? We have to make choices if we want to save money. And so the problem is, is that we don't make those choices because this is the interesting point. When I have these emails, I start saying okay, here's what you need to save. And then when we start looking at their budget and you look at where all the money goes, right? It's the Apple phone. It's, it's the, you know, the, the different streaming services, like a whole bunch of them, uh, Starbucks every day. You know, and once you start working through the budget, it is amazing how much money you can save, but you're going to have to start sacrificing some things and thinking about things in a more financially responsible manner. And this is, you know, one of the, you know, people complain about baby boomers having all the money, right? You got to remember back when I was growing up, we didn't have all this stuff, right? I mean, you earned your income. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have computers to go buy. We basically saved money because we were out 
outside doing stuff, yep. <laughs> you know. And we we weren't driving fancy cars. We were driving pickup trucks and normal automobiles. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was the attitude. And you had a checking account that we had to balance. And to, to Danny's point, we knew exactly where our money was. And that's why, the baby, and of course, baby boomers also have, more, have had more time to save. But the point is, is that the financial responsibility of boomers was better because they weren't being inundated 24-7 with ads on social media, television, everything else about buying stuff, right? Impulse buying yeah. wasn't as big of an issue. You know, we don't we don't watch a whole lot of TV, but we we try to watch one show and we, we got on a Yellowstone and then yeah. the other one, I guess we were 1923. Yeah. And um, so we're a little bit behind on most of this. But there was a really good scene in, in one of the episodes where they're walking there in downtown mm -hmm. and, and they're walking and this guy's selling, you know, these contraptions. They don't know what they are, but it's a washing machine and a refrigerator. And the guy's, you know, this is the future. This is going to give you so much more free time. And, you know. What are we going to do with this free time? We're going to have leisure. And one of them's like, well, wait a second. But then we don't work. So you will sell us the electricity for it. Then we have to rent these products from you. Mm -hmm. So now we don't work for ourselves anymore. We work for you. And that's a great way to, to look at this. Mm -hmm. Anytime you have this debt, you're working for somebody else because you don't truly own it. If you're leasing, you're renting it, or you're consistently just flipping it, unless you're making money on this, which most people on Darn. these types of products, you're, that's not going to be the case. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, the biggest misconception. And, you know, you talked about even going back to the home, people say, well, I made so much money on it. Well, great. What are you going to buy now? Right. Where are you going to live? Yeah, this price has all gone up. Well, that's the issue. Most people look at that as an investment versus, you know, actual just housing. Right. And, and it's great if you're going to make money on it and you can figure out a way to, to make money, then turn back and not have to spend as much. Most people can't. Right. And look, money that's made in, look, you can make a lot of money in real estate. People have made vast fortunes in real estate, but they're buying property to rent to somebody else, which is where their vast fortunes came from. Again, so just think about, you know, what you buy versus what you rent and own. And, and again, you know, if you look, if you've got plenty of discretionary income and you're saving plenty for retirement, then go buy whatever you want, man. Don't care. That's that's on you. Right. And congratulations. You've done great for yourself. But if you're really struggling to make ends meet, you've got to at least at some point come back and point your finger at yourself and say, it's not the rest of the world's problem. Maybe it's my problem. Maybe I need to start fixing it at home first and then we can go from there. All right. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show. Okay, get ready to wrap stuff up. Uh, futures have turned lower this morning ahead of the Powell testimony in front of the House Financial Services Committee. Uh, this should be kind of interesting to watch today, actually. Um, a little disappointed in the Senate, you know, testifying yesterday. There wasn't a whole lot of you know, fireworks. It. Well, there weren't a whole lot of I was expecting, you know, Elizabeth Warren to come guns blazing or arrows blazing, whatever. Um, <laughs> well, I thought she did. Did Who came after him a little bit and said, hey, you're going to put all these people out of work. Right. Yeah, I know. But she, she usually has good viral videos and we got nothing out of it. I was hoping to have some good clips for the day, but uh, didn't get anything from her. Um, so, but, you know, one of the things, so, you know, futures point a little bit lower is again, just concerns over 
again, more conversation about higher Fed rates and we'll kind of see how the market plays out. Market's sitting right on the 50-day moving average today, as I said earlier. So market needs to try to hold support here. It's okay if it doesn't. The 200-day is right below it. A second retest of that 200-day moving average will be important. Uh, it needs to hold. And if it does hold, that will be a really, really good bottom. To have a test and another retest that holds is a very strong bottom. So we'll see if that happens. If not, if we break below that, then um, this whole kind of breakout has has been uh, basically reversed. And so we'll go from there. But, but anyway, before, before we finish with that last topic, but I think this is important because I think a lot of times somebody says, well, you break below it. Oh, shoot. We got to sell everything. No. Move out. You want to see if it actually retests, correct? So you want right. to you see if it breaks below and it stays below. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, and that's a good point because see, see by the time um, that you're breaking a support level, the market is getting oversold. So, you know, what you'll generally get is a break below that moving average. And don't, don't panic sell that first break uh, because the next day, generally, this is why people, you know, complain about technical hours. Oh, it doesn't work. I, we broke it and then it went right back up. Yeah, that happens sometimes. And just because you break that level doesn't mean it's a confirmed break. So what you're looking for is that for to, to either stay below that level for two or three days or go back up, retest that broken level, fail, and then go back down again. If, that, if any of those happen, yes, you've now officially broken it and you can reduce exposure to those type of things. But be real careful knee-jerking that first break, and particularly intraday, right? Just because you break it intraday doesn't mean anything. The best way to really look at it, let's say that we broke the 200-day moving average Monday. Wait till Friday to see where you are. Wait to see where the week closes. The, the weekly closes are much more important than the daily closes because of all the volatility that occurs. And that'll help save you from, from you know basically making trading mistakes. Anyway, um, so just wrapping up our um, kind of a conversation on retirement savings, uh, President Biden has a plan to avert the Medicare funding crisis, of course. You know, this has been a lot of headlines lately as, you know, the debt keeps going up, interest rates are going up. Um, you know, lots of concern about the bankrupt, you know, the funding solvency of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, you know, all those. Pro we have a lot of different programs. Some of them are already insolvent and, of course, requires more debt to continue to fund those. And this is constantly a big topic about you know the welfare system of course we keep adding more and more people you know on to to the system right the, the social security was originally meant for you worked you saved you retired and it was it was a welfare program set up during the depression era to make sure that people who were too old to work had some form of fiscal solvency and back then we had 16 workers paying in for every person taking out today we only have two, less than two people paying in for every person taking out of social security but we've added a tremendous number of people onto the Social Security system that were never intended to be there. But we've used this as a bucket of solvency for different, all different types of, of people, um, widows and orphans and firemen, everybody else, that we said, okay, oh, these people need some help. Let's give them some money out of Social Security. So we keep adding more and more claims onto a system that is funded by less and less people. So... This is the big problem, and there's a, there's a this is the same problem that pensions have that are underfunded. You have people that are you know setting up to take claims out of a pool of money that have not had the performance that pension funds were, were were relying on, and so there's just simply not enough money there to fund all these people, right? So you have these solvency concerns. Um, 
lots of there's been lots of discussions about how to fix this issue. Um, we can raise the minimum retirement age. We can tax people more. We can, um, you know, have people, you know, you know, opt out of the system. A variety of things, right? There's there's lots of solutions. Nobody wants to try to fix it because it's politically unelectable. <laughs> when, you, when you start trying to fix social security, like you mentioned, look what's happening in France. Don't think those politicians yeah. here are not watching that. Uh, oh man, yeah, don't want to do that. So, but uh, Biden has a plan to avert the Medicare funding crisis, which uh, will include tax hikes. And again, see something that people don't like, right? Don't hike my taxes. Don't take away, don't take away my Social Security benefit, but don't tax me more either. So, take your pick. Well, but most people won't be getting the, the tax on what his current proposal is. Right. He's looking to increase that Medicare tax from three point eight percent on top income earners all the way to five. Mm-hmm. And so, many people aren't paying that as it is. Right. And um, by the way, that 3.8% additional tax started in 2000, was it nine? At, right after the Obama administration? Yeah, somewhere in there. It went from 2.9, then they added an additional, what, 0.9 to it if you made over 200,000. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's small caveats and nuances to this. And they're also talking about how they're going to tax unearned income. Now, they've thrown this out last several years. It's been basically DOA, dead on arrival. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out, though, because this is going to be more and more important to shore up. There's a lot of different ways you can approach this, and you could probably do it without necessarily having to increase mm. the Social Security you know, like age. But what this, what he's talking about specifically doesn't even really address Social Security. This is specifically Medicare. Medicare. And then he's talking about generic drugs. Uh, he wants them no more than $2. Some, you know, the, the problem here in America is that we historically pay for all the research. Right. Well, everybody else across the globe gets drugs for much cheaper. Mm-hmm. And that's something they need to they need to address. Right. But that's not in this bill. <laughs> no. Well, and again, you know, there's, you know, Social Security funding as a as a good example. Right. You're only taxed for Social Security up to a certain dollar amount of your salary. So once you make over a certain dollar amount salary wise, you're no longer taxed for Social Security. So, you know, one, you know, proposals have been like no matter how much money you make, you pay the Social Security tax. And that would help bring in more revenue, obviously, for Social Security. But again, those are just, again, if I'm a politician and I'm running for office, these things really aren't. And by the way, where do I get my money from to run for office is from rich people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these these solutions have never been very politically advantageous to take on do we need to take on these issues absolutely we have a problem that is ultimately going to to realize itself at some point now maybe it's 2035 maybe it's 2040 who knows for sure but at some point we're gonna have to deal with you know the funding crisis of these welfare programs and you got to pay for it some way either you pay through it through more income or you pay through it through more debt which takes away more economic growth. So, I mean, it's, you know, the outcomes of this are not great. And the difference is, as we've talked about before, you can, you can make some, some painful choices now, right? Small painful choices, you know, increase the retirement age, increase the amount of, of tax that you're collecting, increase the, the, you know, increase the tax on the, on the, on higher salary amounts, et cetera. There's a small little things you can do now which aren't dramatically painful that can help shore up the funding. Or eventually, at some point, the whole system is going to fix it for you. And it's going to be all at once, and it'll be very painful. And that's what you're trying to avoid. But again, we can, can keep kicking the can down the road, hoping we don't have to, that whoever's in office right now won't have to deal with it. Let the next guy deal with it. Well, that's exactly right. And unfortunately, they've, they've villainized people who do well. And so 
if you look at the numbers, the top 1% pay about 40% of the income tax revenues already. But those are people who are also creating jobs. Mm-hmm. They're, you're paying a lot in sales tax. I mean, it's not just in one area. And so at what point do you, you get after these people? I mean, we're seeing that an exodus of many states with super high taxes already. So where do people go and what do they do? We're seeing a, an increase in people who are becoming expats. They're moving over. They're getting passports to go to other countries because this is getting to be an, a, an issue. And just addressing Medicare on a trying to raise more revenue is also probably not the right issue because they're not looking at spending. They never want to look at spending. We talk about up against the debt ceiling here again in a couple of months yet, you know, and, and I get it. It is nerve wracking with all the ramifications it could have, but we went back and looked and Lance since 1960, they had increased the debt ceiling. Congressional budget office keeps track of this. It's like 78 times. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever thought maybe, hey, we should look at this this <laughs> budget and this balance it maybe. Four-letter words. Yes, yes. Always the case. Um, good news for the day, though, of course, is uh, a Texas state lawmaker um, by the name of Representative Brian Slayton. He's actually a Texas senator, a Texas uh, representative, a Republican representative from Houston, Texas, has now put a, a bill up. That is called the Texit Bill. It's the Texas Independent Referendum Act, and it would allow Texans to vote on whether the state should reassert its status as an independent nation. So if the majority vote yes on House Bill 3596, a committee will be established to investigate the feasibility of independence from the union and propose options and potential plans for independence to the Texas state legislature. So the Lone Star State may actually become a Lone Star State again. Interesting. And all those people that just moved here from California will be losing their mind. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so. Well, what's the saying? You are not a missionary. You are a refugee. Exactly. You come, you come to Texas. Yeah. I, I actually spent a little time at the Capitol. I was in Austin last week. And, man, what a cool place. I mean, the architecture. Oh, yeah. The things they have in Absolutely. there. And uh, what a busy place. I mean, that place is humming. Yeah. All the time. All the time. So, anyway. Wrap up the show for the day. We back tomorrow, of course. Uh, the Thursday, Mike Leibowitz will join me. We'll be able to go through all of the Jerome Powell testimony tomorrow once we get what he's going to say today to the House Financial Services Committee, and we'll also be able to kind of look at the impact on the markets, not only uh, you know where post testimony we are, but potentially what comes next as the Fed continues to hike rates. That'll be on tomorrow's show of the Real Investment Show with Michael Leibowitz. Uh, join me then. Be on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Michael's latest article is out on the website right now as well. And tomorrow we'll have the article from Richard Rosso on raising money smart kids. So all that's coming up at the website, millinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day.